Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. jump in James chapter 4 I'm gonna start in verse 1 read 1 through 12 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and, and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. Well, James, as he's been doing, right, every single week, it feels like, starts off with a punch to the face. And so what you and I are going to kind of walk through in, God, in God's word this, this morning is trying to answer this question that I'm going to propose before you, which is going to be our first point, which is this, the issue at hand or the issue of the heart. The issue at hand or the issue of the heart. Now here's what I want you to just self-reflective for a moment. Think about all of the fights, arguments, disagreements you've had recently. What do I mean by recently? You define that, right? It could have been this morning, it could have been this week, it could have been this month. I want you to think about all the areas of conflict that you've been in with someone else, and then ask yourself this question, what caused them? James asks that question and then answers it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you, he says in verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, here's where I kind of been struggling with this a little bit. When I read the question, right, 
And, and I've got to be honest about me if, if you're going to be honest about you and we're going to be honest about each other, all right? So if I just read the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, i got a long list of people, of situations, of things in my life that I'm like, if they would do something differently, then I wouldn't have these quarrels and fights, right? I think of all the topics that, that come to mind. So here's what I did this week. I spent probably way too much time doing this, but I took some time doing this, and I looked at six different relational settings and researched what commonly causes most of the conflict and fights within these. Now, I'm going to start personal and go out from there. So let me pull out my cell phone real quick. I sent a text message to my family. I know there's that uncomfortable laughter of, of like, what is he going to do? All right. So I sent out this text message on Wednesday to my family. I'm going to read the dialogue. Here's a question for our family. What are the top three things that I do that drives you crazy, makes you mad? FYI, I will share these answers in my message on Sunday. <laughs> Very quickly, my daughter replied. And she numbered them. Like, <laughs> number one. Let me say this, I do all of the things they're about to accuse me of doing, all right? Number one, you sing and dance around in the grocery store. 100% true, 100% true. Do it all the time. If they're playing music, I'll join along. If they're not, I'll just insert, typically from 80s and 90s music, right? Number two, you take all my good candy that I get on Halloween, my birthday, and Christmas. Sweetie, you forgot Easter, right? True, true, I do that. We call it dad tax, right? And tax has increased recently, we know that. And so um, I just reflect that in our home, right? Number three, uh, you will sometimes sing to wake me up in the morning, but you used to do that to me all the time when I was little, but not so much anymore. I'm growing and improving, right? And I responded graciously, thank you, all right? Then my son responds. He says, it's really just the Halloween candy thing. <laughs> I responded with, I need two more, nothing. So I pose a question. So basically, Grayson thinks that I'm a great dad. He responds, yeah, nothing really. I said, I'll make sure to mention that. Emma responded, no, I love you, dad, heart emoji. All right, that's my kids. Now, I sent that to my entire family. My wife never responded. So this morning, I caused conflict in my marriage. I called her. And I said, I need you to give me your three answers. And she responded, no, please don't make me do that, please. And I said, no, no, I can take it. I can take it. Whatever you share, you know that I'm going to share, and, and I can take it. And she said, but I don't want to do that. 
And after about 15 minutes of me doing the things she doesn't want me to do, I finally got her to give me the top three things that I do in the Bradbury marriage to cause conflict. Number one, I have been known to take a joke too far. Number two, I have an inability to accurately estimate how long it will take me to finish a project. Right? Number three, it's personal, personal. I've been known to put rolls of toilet paper on the floor in the bathroom and not on the dispenser. And I found out this morning the level of anger that that brings to my wife. And I will no longer do that, all right? So there's the Bradberries. Now, what I didn't tell them is I'm going to share with you the top three things from each one of them that make me mad. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. The look on Aaron's face, I wasn't going to do it. And then I saw the look, and I'm sorry that I even said that, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, to pray for me. All right, all right, so. Here's just more general, not, not Bradbury, here's more general. And I thought about calling some of your spouses and families and just get you new off guard, but decided not to. All right, so five more areas just in general. Common, the most common causes of conflict in marriage. Oh, this is interesting. Number one, can you guess what it is? Money, money, number one. Number two, sex. Number three, parenting. Number four, housework and chores. All right, we all know who's dropping the ball in that one, right? Number two, another relational dynamic. Causes of conflict in families. So move outside of even when we go through these, not necessarily the family that lives in your home, but, but family even outside of that. So uh, siblings, uh, parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all, all of that. Common causes of conflict in families. Number one, money. Number two, family businesses and jobs. Number three, I thought, honestly, I love mine. I thought this would be number one, in-laws, right? Number four, family events. Right, yes, and amen as it all approaches. Number five, sibling conflict over elderly parents. I know a lot of you are going through that. Number six, Step-parent and step-child conflict. Number seven, divorced parent conflict over discipline of children. Most common causes of conflict in families. Moving out a little farther. Causes of conflict at work. Right? Number one, the, and this is from the employee's perspective, okay? Number one, poor management. Number two, unfair treatment. Number three, unclear job responsibilities. Number four, inadequate training. And number five, poor communication. Right, so you see 
how this hopefully you're, you're kind of resonating with some of these, right? Like you've, you've been there and you feel underappreciated. You feel that others are valued more than you. You feel that you have a job, but you're not being equipped to do the things in the job, right? Causes of conflict at work. Next, causes of conflict amongst neighbors. Interesting one. Number one, noise. Number two, parking. Number three, kids, right? Get out of my yard, kids, right? There you go. Number four, pets. And specifically where pets go to the bathroom is what the survey said. And then number five, damage to property. Damage to property. So think about your neighborhood. If you live in a neighborhood, right? Neighborhood Facebook page was not listed because I think that's the avenue of the conflict, right? If you've got one of those. Um, but but you, you see that. And, and then the last one, now I find this hard to believe, but I could not find it. I spent way too much time, like I said, looking for these. But the question that I asked was, what topics are argued about the most over social media? So I couldn't find an answer to that. So I went to my Facebook page and Twitter page and just said, I'm going to watch and see and, and dig in a little bit. And I'm going to go look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down the dark rabbit hole over conflict, all right? And I noticed four things. And these aren't in, in order as the other ones were. First thing that I noticed was politics, right? Politics were commonly argued about. Number two, religion and faith, even amongst those who claim the same faith or same religion. Number three, and just pastoral counseling moment for us all, don't air your family issues on social media. Bad spot, but that's what we see and what we notice, right? And then number four, and this one's tough. I've seen this destroy friendships, marriages, divide churches. Most controversial topic that I found, college football, right? <laughs> and for those of you who don't care, congratulations, right? So after all of this time, here's the conclusion that I've come to. We can fight over anything and we do. We can fight over anything, and we do. I, I read a, a, a social media post where someone just said, I like this restaurant, and someone else said, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's a restaurant. There's all sorts of topics that we can fight about, and we do. Did you notice the only topic that repeated itself? Money. That was it. The only topic. So every setting that we walk into is a new setting for us to get a bunch of new topics that we're mad about. And then move to this setting and get mad about this one, and then move to this setting and get mad about this one. So here's what I'm convinced of. If everyone in the world 
agreed on politics, we'd find something new to yell at each other about, right? This is the journey of, of what, we, what we see. And so the topics of conflict, they change. But what doesn't change, what continues to be the common theme, is the matters of the heart. And this is what James wants us to address. So he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's talking to the church. Among you guys, what, what causes this? And he says, they come from your passions, your desires that are at war within you. The, and this isn't the good passions. This isn't people fighting over which unreached people group should we go engage with. The word passions is where we get the word hedonism from. And so the very fleshly desires of you are where these come from. So it's not the matter at hand. It's the matter of the heart. It's not going to be just this. Like, it's not just going to be this one thing. Because if we solve that, but we don't solve the heart, then we just find a new topic. Right? Like, let's take the silliness, I think, silliness of the whole candy thing, right? Like, what, that, well, that's my selfishness. You got it. I want it. We're going to see that in just a second, too. So if I say that I'm not going to do that, but I don't address my selfishness, right, then I'm just going to find it from somewhere else. Because it's not the candy. It's the selfishness of the heart. So James continues, and he, he talks about the darkness of the sinful heart. And remember, these are believers he's talking to. Look at verses 2 through 4. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your sinful, hedonistic passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So here's what I find happens in conflict. Here's what I find happens in, in, in fights, that people want to look at them and ask the question, what has been done? What have I done? What is this offense that is there? And, and yes, when you have conflict in relationships, you have to address the behaviors. We're going to see that even more later on. You have to address the behaviors. We can't just forget those away. But most importantly, and this is what we're going to see from Jesus, that the actions can't simply be the standard, but the action has to be what does your heart desire? 
I apologize, I don't have these on the screen for you this morning, but in Matthew 5 is one of the areas where Jesus addresses this very early on in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, let me read this to you. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I, being Jesus, say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so Jesus says, Oh, you didn't kill him, but your heart's wicked. Well, you're, you're guilty. Matthew 5, 27, 28, he continues on. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But Jesus, I didn't. Mm, But you did. But you did. And James continues on with this. And he says, you do not have, so you murder, you slander with your words. A thousand cuts over and over and over again. I might not kill your body, but I kill your character. James continues on and he says, so so you covet. So you lust after it becomes the pursuit. And then James, in three words in chapter 4, verse 4, he brings it down to who we are. Then James addresses the issue and he says, you adulterous people. He doesn't say you sinful people. He takes it a step beyond that. And he, he defines the condition of our heart. You adulterous people. Now, adultery in our relationship, we have to understand the proper relationship that we view ourselves with God in our relationship with him. We are the children of God the Father, but in that defining of the relationship that is different than any other relationship that we have, God views our relationship with him as a marriage, which means there's a covenant and there's a commitment. Let's, let's, let's understand this. In spite of what you feel, in spite of what you're going through, God has never broken, God has never violated his covenant and his commitment to you or me. Not one time. I don't care the greatest pit of suffering you've been in, God has never violated that with you. He upholds it. The problem is not him. The problem is us. And we don't view our relationship with God in the same way. And instead, here's how we view the relationship. I'm committed to you, Lord, but there's times that I want my freedom. There's times that I want to step out of the relationship. Now, I want the benefits. I want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I want joy in the deepest, darkest circumstances of my life. I want to live in and experience the joy of forgiveness and grace. But 
there's times where I want my freedom. And if we were to describe a husband and wife relationship in that context, we would all agree that's not a marriage, that's an abusive relationship. And yet that's what we bring to the Lord. He's like, nah, I'm committed, I got covenant, I'm here, you're mine, I'm yours. And we're like, yep, that's good for me. Oh, but there's this time, so let me just step out over here. James, this is you adulterous people. James says, our relationship, there's two options. He says, you're either a friend of the world, which means you're an enemy of God, or you're a friend of God, which means you're an enemy of the world. James says, then then you've got to figure this out. You've got to walk through this with who you are. And then he paints a picture in in verse 5 of God's heart for us. God's heart for us. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And so what what James does here is is he he gives us some some Old Testament imagery of the jealousy of God. And he says when, when we're adulterous toward him, when this is who we are, pursuing the desires, the sinful desires of the passions of our flesh. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He wants us to come home. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 4, again, I apologize, not having it on the screen for you. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. And so God is jealous for you. He's jealous for you. When we think of jealous, we, we think of those moments of pettiness, right? Where our neighbor gets the car that we wish we had. That's not God. That's not what he's talking about. What we see is God is jealous Like a faithful, committed spouse is jealous when their spouse wanders in their marriage. And his devotion to us is as those who come to pursue them in their marriage. This is God's heart for us. And so when God in his covenant, when God in his commitment, when God in his love for us, and he sees us say, no, I want the benefits of you, but I want the freedoms of over here. His heart is jealous for us to return to him because we are his and he is ours. This is the heart that God has for us. And the love that he has for us. 
And so James calls us to a heart for God. He calls us to a heart for God. Look at verses 6 through 12. But he gives more grace. I love that. I, I love those five words. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another's brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so James comes down through and says, here's what a heart of God looks like. And he begins it by saying that, that it lives in grace. Back in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, God is not grace broke. He's grace rich. You're, he's not going to hit the credit limit. He's not going to run the account to zero. God is grace rich, and he extends that lavishly to us. It's who he is. It's his love for us as he extends grace, right, to the humble, to the humble, those who desire him, those who trust him, those who obey him. James continues on and he says, a heart for God submits to him, submits to him, right? Let's understand this. Submission and obedience are not the same thing. Submission and obedience is not about the same thing. Obedience can be faked on the surface and oftentimes is solely about the action. But submission is about the will, right? I want you to think back to when, if, you, if you're a parent or you've been around toddlers, right? And, and they've done something wrong, like they hit somebody. You ever seen that? You got a toy, I want the toy, I'm going to take the toy. You won't give me the toy, so I'm going to hit you and take the toy. Anybody ever watched a toddler do that, right, a young kid? And when they do that, what do we do? Give the toy back and say you're sorry. And oftentimes, they'll be obedient, maybe with some threats, but they'll be obedient and they'll say, I'm sorry, but here's what it looks like. Throw said toy, sorry. Right? Were they obedient? Yep. Were they changed? Nope. Nope. When God says that we need to submit to him. And we'll see that our obedience comes from the submission. And I want to say this, submitting is way harder than obeying. And what I've found in my life, because if you're like me, you're 
chugging through right now all the areas in my life where it's difficult to submit. And, and, and people say, well, I'm having a hard time with that. And, and, and I want to say something that, that's maybe counterculture to how we're built in life, but I think it's biblical to what God has for us. Then stop trying to submit and start praying about it. Stop trying to figure out how you can submit and start begging and pleading with the Spirit of God to work inside of us, that he will give us the ability in his power so that we can't boast in our own power, but we can only boast in his power of who he is, that he would give us the, 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 the opportunity, that he would give us the Spirit to submit to him fully. And then he's worth all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Because it's from him, not from us, Right? A heart for God, James continues, a heart for God resists the devil and draw near, draws near to God, right? Let's lose this phrase from our vocabulary, right? The devil's never made you do anything, and neither has anyone else. Have they enticed us with it? Absolutely. But who did it? We did. So can you resist the devil? Absolutely. With the Spirit of God in you, yes, you can resist the devil. But I read a pastor who talked about this, and he said this. He said, oftentimes when we resist the devil, our, our positioning in life or our approach to that is, is halfway there. And we run from the sin that's enticing us. Now that's not wrong, but where are you running are you running to the next sin? So I'm going to run from lust, but run toward anger? I'm going to run from pride, but run to gossip? And so James says, right, that we're to resist the devil and draw near to God. So this pastor said this, don't just, run to, run, don't just run from sin, but run to God. So I'm going to run from lust to the Lord. I'm going to run from pride to the Lord. I'm going to run from anger to the Lord. I'm going to run from jealousy to the Lord. You see, he is the picture of the finish line. James continues on that a heart for God, when you have a heart for God, you'll cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, right? A call to seek maturity, right? The heart is on the inside, but the desire from that to be pure from it, to clean the outside as well, right? So grace is not our excuse of what we can fall back to when we've done the wrong things. God is grace rich, yes, but there is because of the spirit of God within us, the desire to move forward. So clean your hands, purify your hearts, seek the Lord, do what he calls you to do. Live in grace, don't seek to abuse it. And he says a heart for God repents. Look back at verse 9. This is kind of a, a difficult verse sometimes. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like that kind of feels like anti-scripture, right? We're supposed to be people with joy. We're supposed to be people of laughing and, and happiness and gladness of, of all that's there. And this scripture is not talking against that. But this scripture is talking about in the context of your sin. Our sin is not to be laughed at. Our sin is not made to be light of. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And we should warn 
mourn, and weep over that. This should be the positioning. And it happens at repentance. It happens as we confess before him. A heart for God humbles themselves before him. Take the picture of a servant. Take a picture of a soldier submitting before the king. That's humility. Where you ask me to go, I go. What you ask me to do, I do. Because I understand that I'm not the king, that you are. And I'm a commissioned soldier for you, right? And then then lastly, a heart for God desires reconciliation. A heart for God desires reconciliation. We began this message about conflict between people. And we've talked about a lot about our relationship with the Lord, and I believe that we begin there. When David sinned against Bathsheba and everyone else, David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And that doesn't pardon his actions for others and the hurt that he brought into others. And so while we focus in on our relationship with the Lord, James gives us some practical steps here. When we experience this, look at verses 11 and 12. But do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But but who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's what what, what James is is getting us to, what we're going to end on. In the conflict, you're not God. You're not holy. You're not righteous in and of yourself. You're not judge, so stop seeking to be that. And instead, seek reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. I promise not a whole another message. Really quickly, we'll wrap up with this. Jesus in that to his people numerous times throughout his ministry talks about this ministry of reconciliation that we're to have amongst one another. You know, we have ministry of reconciliation where we take the gospel of Jesus Christ and we see people reconciled to God, but we're also called to work out earthly reconciliation between the two, between the two of us or the offended parties. And Jesus walks through that. And the first thing that he says when you do this, and if you want to know where it is, come talk to me afterwards. I'll give you all the references. Jesus says you begin reconciliation by looking at the other person and giving them the long list of everything that they've done. Nope. That's what we do. He says you look at yourself. You look at yourself. And you pull that big old plank out of your eye first. And then you determine if they have sinned. And when that's the case, and I find that step number one should take a lot longer than step two or step three. When you find that to be the case, you don't call up your cousin and talk about what the other cousin did. You don't jump jump on Facebook and make a post about what's happening. 
You don't make passive-aggressive jabs to a person who's confused of why you're saying things that you're saying to them. You sit down and you have a one-on-one brother and sister in Christ conversation. You examine yourself. You sit down with them. And then when you can't come to an agreement, because the goal was reconciliation, it's not Dr. Phil or the next Google search that you go to, but you sit down with the church, you sit down with your leaders, and we walk through the messiness and the stickiness that it is. Because the goal was for God to be glorified. And that's what we see. Because here's the thing. What does the world want? The world wants us in conflict. What does God want? God wants us to be reconciled. Because where there is sinful conflict, there is no unity. Where there is sinful conflict, there is no fellowship. And that's what he reconciles us for. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this morning that we could be here together. I thank you for the boldness and the truthfulness of your word. Lord, I thank you that you do give us grace. You are a source of overflowing grace to us. And God, we thank you for that. God, we repent to you of the adultery that we have committed to you. Where we want to live in the benefit of the relationship with you and the freedom that our sin wants to call us to. Lord, I pray that we would be broken for that. Or pray that we would mourn over that. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us who are sitting in here this morning. And there is that person in their mind. Maybe it's a person in their home. Maybe it's a person in their family. Maybe it's a person at their work, in their, in their neighborhood, in their church. And there's sinful conflict that is there. Lord, I pray that through the drawing, Lord, the leading of your spirit, what would be desired in that relationship is not slander, is not gossip, is not letting everyone else know what they've done to me, but is true reconciliation, keeping the family together. Lord, I pray against the work of Satan. Lord, in our church and in other churches and in families who wants to come in and destroy what's there. He wants to destroy what's there because of a topic, a moment of conflict because of a different mindset of perspective. Lord, we pray against him 
And we ask, Lord, that you work in your spirit, in those relationships, in those churches, in those marriages, in those families, to reconcile one another to each other, to draw them closer to you, to see them glorified, and, and, and to see you glorified in their life, in their home, in their jobs, in their church. That when we run from sin, Lord, we run to you, our eyes on you, our focus on you, and Lord, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory. Jesus, have your way in our hearts this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.